Welcome to this edition of the American Cattlemen Podcast. Today, you'll hear some beef news, a bit about our magazine, and then the issue that's been boiling for years, the right to repair what you own. Our guest is Gay Gordon Byrne from Repair.org. In our breed segment, you'll learn more about the American Hereford Association with Shane Bedwell, the Chief Operating Officer and Director of Breed Improvement. And Chap will close the gate on this edition with Nashville-based singer-songwriter Haley Payne. The American Cattleman Podcast is being brought to you by Rawhide Portable Corrals, Central Life Science, Farrah Peas from Farrow Cattle, and TYM Tractors. Now here's your host, Chap Ramsey. Thank you, Georgie. And this is the American Cattleman Podcast, episode number two. Great to have you with us, and thanks so much for taking such a shine to our first attempt out here. We really do appreciate that. And yeah, you want to find us on social media? All you have to do is look for us at American Cattlemen. In the news, Beef Magazine is reporting the USDA's Economic Research Service, or ERS, shows the meat packing industry has consolidated substantially in the past 40 years. In its concentration and competition in the U.S. Agribusiness Report, ERS notes that 34% of pork was produced by the four largest companies back in 1980, but by 2019, that share had nearly doubled to 67%. But that trend was even more pronounced for steers and heifers, raising from 36% to 85% concentration with almost all of the increase occurring between 1980 and 1995. Data from poultry producers only goes back to 1995, but shows much less pronounced concentration than other meat sectors. Dovers is reporting that Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine has launched the new Center on Vaccine Evaluation and Alternatives for Antimicrobials. The center aims to support animal vaccine development and usage. The new center will provide services to global partners and customers by conducting safety and efficacy evaluations for vaccines for transboundary animal diseases. It's all designed to help animal vaccine buyers manage product specification and quality evaluation. The center will also provide feasibility analysis and policy advocacy on vaccines as alternatives to antimicrobials used in animal production. All right. Bone in or bone out on your steak? Does it make a difference to consumers? Well, that's the question being asked by Kansas State University to a group of 144 folks from Manhattan, Kansas, and the surrounding area, and they were paid for their participation in the study. The group tried different cuts of beef, bone in and bone out, and the study reports that among these folks, it didn't matter. The study says that a similar overall eating experience could be had from a boneless or bone-in steak from the same cut and quality grade. Now we all know. In this edition of the American Cattleman Magazine, we've got articles on how size matters when it comes to needles and injectables, what you should consider. Also in this edition, we've got an article about the effects of bovine viral diarrhea in cow-calf operations that can impact a host of issues from economics to compromised immune functions. Those stories and more, search for the American Cattleman Magazine and learn more from a trusted cattle source. All right, stay with us because coming up next, you're going to meet a woman who is passionate about you being able to fix what you own, or you might think you own. 
from tractors to balers to your toaster oven. Our guest is Gay Gordon Byrne from Repair.org, and we're talking about your right to repair. That and more coming your way here on the American Cattleman Podcast. At TYM Tractors, our tractors are made to tackle each owner's distinct needs as they shape the world around them. We augment productivity through technology, quality, and durability, creating equipment specifically designed to deliver long-term value and overcome customer challenges. Check out our website, tym.world forward slash en hyphen us for more information. Welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. With me is Gay Gordon Byrne, who's with an organization called RightToRepair.org. Now, when you think of repairing stuff, you need to know there's a bunch of things out there that you can't repair without access to the manufacturer's secrets. And this touches a bunch of industries from agriculture to construction, even consumer electronics. Gay, welcome. And at its core, what is RightToRepair.org? Well, at its core, it's really about what you own and what you're allowed to do with the things that you bought. Um, we used to buy things accept, uh, expecting that you could fix them and you could customize them and you could turn around and sell it to the guy down the street or put it on eBay or whatever. Um, and those things have sort of disappeared to the point where anything that you've got a computer chip in, um, and that goes everything from an electric toothbrush to a big tractor, um, you probably can't fix either by design because the toothbrushes really aren't made to be fixed or by policy, and that's where the tractor problems are. Uh, because if you can't buy the repair materials that you need because the manufacturer won't sell them, then you really can't fix it. And then you gotta wonder, well, what did I buy? What do I mm. really own? So it comes down at the end of the day really to ownership and what rights we're supposed to have as owners that we don't have, but should have. And not long ago, we read about an agreement reached between John Deere and consumers that were told was brokered by the Biden administration and the Farm Bureau. Can you speak to that? Well, I'm going to take a little more credit um, for having pressured that agreement to come into play um, and a little less credit to the Biden administration, not, not dissing them that they were not a part of the negotiations, at least not that I've been told. Um, Farm Bureau, I've been working with the Farm Bureau since 2015 on trying to get them supportive, more directly supportive of right to repair laws that were we've been filing in states, and they've just been a little cold about it. Um, and it doesn't surprise me greatly that John Deere um, and Farm Bureau came to some agreement because the agreement is kind of the recap of a 2018 deal that Deere announced it was going to be nice by 2021. Well, you can tell by, by now they're still not nice. <laughs> right. So um, the, the MOU came as a surprise, but it's so worthless really yeah totally worthless there's no teeth there's nothing they they don't even say you're going to get a slap on the hand if you don't comply so there's no teeth in the agreement um we helped we we tried very hard to work with farm bureaus in various states to create an mou that would be functional and it never got anywhere and the reason is is that state law fortunately can put teeth in a, a law and farm bureau didn't want teeth 
for whatever reason. Hmm. Uh, so the, the agreement that looks like, hey, wow, we're going to be nice, it's just a recap of the 2018 version of we're going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me there's still a lock on the Magic Kingdom, so to speak, right? Yes, but not. But the, as of about two weeks ago, the lock just got broke. Um, Colorado passed a law for agricultural right to repair. It does everything that the MOU does, and it has teeth. Oh, yeah. So take a look at that one. You'll see the, um, the I think it's going to be very, compliance is going to be difficult, not in Colorado, because it's very clear. But what happens if you're in Nebraska right. or Iowa, and you want to buy something out of Colorado, where, what is Deere going to say to you when you go to order a part? Are they going to say you can't order it in Colorado? Mm. I don't know. So I, I, we're not done yet. Um but there's, there has been major, major change. Our guest on this edition of the American Cattlemen Podcast is Gay Gordon Byrne, and you can learn so much on their website. It is repair.org. It's surprising how many things this impacts. You know, one of the things I found interesting on your website is the various awards you've given out, like the Worst of Show on consumer electronics that may be listening in to what's going on. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, worst in show we look forward to every year. <laughs> yeah. And people are asking us, and the first time we did it, I think was three years ago, and then they said, well, you got to do it again. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's been some repeat winners. You know, Gay, I'm old enough to remember fixing my own vehicles. Hell, you could almost stand in the engine just to change spark plugs. But that's no longer the case, is it? Totally. The mechanical products, they were really hard to monopolize for repair because there was, you could buy a spark plug. You could buy a, you could go to a, whatever your local auto supply store and you could buy a spark plug. But now those electronics, you can't just, they're not generic. You can't just show up at an auto supply and say, I need a, I need a motherboard for a Honda, a 1995 Honda Civic. I mean, it just doesn't exist. Mm. So it's very easy in that environment for manufacturers. And this goes for, this goes for everything that was totally mechanical and has now got electronics. It's the, pre, it's the difficulty of acquiring the electronics. Because mm -hmm. you can't, you know, they're made in factories that cost a billion dollars to make a chip. Um, that's not something you can do as a consumer or even, I mean, we don't even make chips in this country anymore. So there's a real problem of accessibility for the electronic parts, not to mention the software that has to go with it. So it's the transition from mechanical to electronic introduces huge opportunities for the manufacturer to say, I'm just not going to sell that. Well, let's talk about money. If you have to take your tractor, your combine, or sprayer to the dealership, it's not only parts, but also labor. And we're talking huge dollars, right? Huge. I, I'm not, I, I, there's so much. There's so much money involved, it's kind of staggering. Um, the data collection that's coming in off of these um, connected tractors, the data itself is being sold. Um, so that the, a company like, I, I may be wrong as to which chemical company, but let's say Monsanto wants to know how many acres of Iowa property are being sprayed with its chemicals. Right. If they have, if they have that data from John Deere, they probably know, and that's incredibly valuable information. So the 
the devices themselves are being attached to the internet for not your, if you're the farmer, you don't, you already know what the hell do you need the, the internet for. But John Deere wants to use the internet to monetize that information. One of the things we noticed is that you're constantly asking for folks to join you in this effort. Yet, I suspect there are a lot of folks out there that know nothing about these issues. Is that right? Both are accurate. Yes, we need people to join us because we really need two things. We need um, we need money. So this is a trade association, and our we are totally supported by our member dues. We don't. We are not even eligible for foundation money because we're a C6, which is a, a form of group that you need to be in order to do lobbying. Um, if you're a charity, you can't do lobbying. So it's, you, know, right. you, got, you have to decide if you're a charity or not. Um, so we're not a charity. So we do need money. But the, to me, the more important thing that we need is the voices. When we get in front of a legislature and there's, I'm not joking, there's 20 dealers. Every dealer in the state shows up for these hearings and says, Oh my God, customers are going to be, they're going to get run over. They're going to kill their migrant sure. workers. They're, you just, you can, the tales of woe are terrible. But if you've got two farmers there that basically call bullshit, <laughs> right? Those voices are very powerful. And that's why the Colorado got a bill passed. Vermont just passed the House for a agricultural and forestry right to repair in their state because they had farmers. They had actual real people that got in front of the committees and said, this is what happens to me when the machine breaks down, it throws a code, and then I'm dead in the water. I literally can't move my whatever the problem is. I can't do my job. And if, if, uh, if the local dealer doesn't feel like hopping in their car and coming out on an emergency basis, and that could be two hours, two days, two weeks, two months, um, it's a really serious problem. So when the farmers explain what their need is, these things go very well. Gay Gordon Byrne is our guest here on the American Cattlemen Podcast. All right, Gay, who out there among farmers and ranchers are speaking out about all this? Oh, no, we've had several. Uh, members of the National Farmers Union and the Nebraska chapter have been particularly vocal. And they, they tend to be more on the liberal side um, politically, but... They're vocal and they're getting they're making progress because they're standing up and saying, hey, I can't I'm not a big enough farmer. I don't own half the state and I don't get priority service from my dealer. So I really need to be able to fix my stuff. And we understand you've got a number of individuals who are willing to go out and speak to groups about Repair.org and its mission. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And we're all volunteers. So um you know, the only thing we, we ask for is if somebody wants to have one of our members um, show up to a meeting is please pay their expenses. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not, we don't have a speaker's bureau, but we do have a shortage of money. So, <laughs> so Gay, how old is your organization and what do you hope to accomplish in the future? Well, our 10th birthday is this coming July. Wow. And we actually, it took us a while to actually have a birthday because we had to, we knew there was a problem and there was a whole, a whole bunch of associations in the computer industry that knew there was a problem. And we said, we got to do something about it. It took us a while to figure out what to do. Right. Um, and it took us about a year to actually do the, the organizing part, get a, you know, file all the paperwork and get the articles, corporations, such like that. So, but our official birthday is this coming July. And I think we're going to have a party. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? 
Well, we finally got some bills passed and there's some more in the hopper. And I think so that speaks to the goal. Um, our goal and it's our mission is to make sure that everybody can fix all of their stuff, even if it happens to include a computer chip. Hmm. That's the mission. Yeah. Really simple. <laughs> it applies to a whole lot of stuff. But ultimately, if you can, let me, let me back this up a little bit. Manufacturers do not have to sell equipment. They can rent it. They can retain all the rights of ownership. But the moment they sell it, that's changed. It changes everything. It changes the ownership. Absolutely. And with ownership comes responsibility, which is why um, when manufacturers say, well, you might drive unsafely. And my answer is no kidding. But that's not your problem. Okay, final question for you. Yeah, everybody knows how expensive farm and construction equipment is. So many folks are leasing, and that's a different beast altogether, yeah? Yeah, it's actually two different beasts. And it, in, in the leasing world, and I used to do a lot of leasing, um, if you wind up, it depends on who owns the equipment at the end of the lease. Right. If, if it's an automatic, you own it at the end of the lease, that's considered a finance lease. And you are technically the owner from day one. So the other kind of lease is called an operating lease. And the manufacturer or the leasing company, which could be a bank or an independent, um, is responsible. They are the owner. And when they get the equipment back at end of term, they might not get their money out of the resale. Right. So they're at risk. And they get, everybody gets special tax treatment for that. But there's, I don't think in the ag world that there's a lot of operating leases. Um it really does depend on the individual transaction. So most people, and this is also another monopoly, um, because you, we'll use John Deere as an example. In their in their license agreement, which is itself unfair, deceptive, um, they say you can't resell this equipment without making the next user sign this license agreement, and that is such a massive no-no in in banking. You can't, that's not collateral. If somebody else controls the transaction, you, you have what's called impaired collateral. And you don't get a lot of competition for things like that. So unless you have it like a AAA credit score, you don't have an independent leasing operation. Your, your local bank is not going to support that transaction because of that language. And if they are, they really shouldn't be. <laughs> I don't there, there are there are some lenders that will do just about anything to make the revenue numbers look good, but they could they taking enormous risks. Gay, thanks so much for being with us here on the American Cattlemen Podcast. You've uncovered a whole bunch in our time together. So I said final question, but maybe I didn't mean it. You got anything else you want to share with us while you got the time? Totally. We have over the past ten years, and maybe twenty, you can extend it out to twenty years completely undone our whole system of ownership. Huh, amazing. We think we own stuff, but we don't own it. We don't own it in the way that we should. And it's not legal. This is the other thing that most people find surprising. Most people, and I count myself among them until I learned otherwise, think that manufacturers actually have a right to dictate who gets to repair, quote, their equipment, even though it's not theirs. <laughs> um, and that's actually not true at all. It's a violation of antitrust law. We've just been shitty at it. As a, as a nation, we've been shitty at using our existing laws to prevent this stuff. Yeah. So there's a resurgence of antitrust interest. They don't need new law. They've got good law, and it just needs to be enforced. So that's why there's an antitrust um, 
a class action suit. Uh, I think there's maybe, I think there might be 19 farmers that individually filed suits and they consolidated um, into one suit. Sure. And it's all about antitrust. It's about repair being limited um, by the manufacturer illegally in an illegal tying agreement. So there's very good legal basis for not doing this stuff. Uh, but people really have to understand that they're supposed to be able to make their under every law, under copyright law, under patent law, and under the trade secret law, there's not supposed to be these impediments. You're supposed to be able to fix your stuff. Okay, thanks again for being with us here on the American Cavalman Podcast. Hope to talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate the talk, and I, I'm so sorry we're done. Once again, that's Gay Gordon Byrne from Repair.org. All right, stay with us, because coming up next, we're going to visit with Shane Bidwell. He's with the American Hereford Association out of Kansas City. I got a fondness for this breed. We ran a bunch of them back in the day. Come on back, and let's talk a bit in our breed section of the American Cattleman Podcast. Check out this new and improved classic model from Rawhide Portable Corrals. It's got a number of advantages and features you'll love. This rawhide corral is a throwback to our old style and can be purchased as either a bumper pole or gooseneck design. Check out our website for all of our current models at rawhideportablecorrals.com or call 785-263-3436. Therapies, the maternal bovine appeasing substance. This could be the most valuable calf crop in history. Get the most out of your calves, wean your calves with Therapies. Studies have demonstrated that Therapies calves are 30 to 40 pounds heavier 45 days post weaning. Block the stress with Therapies. Less stress means healthier and heavier calves. Learn more at Therapies.com. That's F-E-R-A-P-P-E-A-S-E dot com. Hey, welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. Grateful that you're with us again today. Hey, we're going to be talking cattle here in just a second. Woo with? His name is Shane Bedwell, and he is the Chief Operating Officer over there at the American Hereford Association. He's also, get this, he's also in charge of the Breed Improvement Program. I happen to know just a tad bit about Herefords. We had 50 of them at the ranch that we had a long time ago. and They are the most gentle creature on the face of the earth. Shane, welcome to the American Cattlemen Podcast. Grateful that you're taking time to hang out with us again today. It's a pleasure to be on, and uh, I look forward to sharing more information about our association and uh, what, what's going on here at Hereford. Yeah, you know, having a long time ago been a member, and I, I've got a friend that's currently a member of the American Hereford Association, you guys have grown so much in the past 50 years, <laughs> to say nothing about recent. What's been the driving force behind the American Hereford Association that you're continuing to see success? Well, I think as uh, new people come into our membership, they're immediately impressed uh, with the other people that make up the membership. I, I've been at the association now for eight years, and uh, the people in this breed 
are fabulous and uh, you find uh, breeders and families that have been in it for five, six, seven generations now. And when new people come into this breed, they find that sense of family. They find a, a membership that they can really belong to. And then it doesn't take very long to own a set of Hereford cattle and you fall in love. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something to you right now. And, and you have just hit on a key, Shane, that is important to any association. And if that association goes out there and is family-oriented, friendly, and welcomes new people into its fold, man, you've got something cooking. No doubt. And I, I, you see it each and every year uh, at our, our major junior show that happens uh, in the summer. I mean, you walk back in those barns and, and families take their whole summer. And we're getting ready for that here in Madison, Wisconsin, here in July. That's their vacation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just really neat to see uh, an organization where you have 900 and some different members, junior members from 40 some states and all their families and siblings back in the barn, really enjoying uh, one another and and uh, competing. So it's uh, it's 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 in the front for view for everybody. And it uh, it's really exciting. There's a lot of good momentum right now. Right. You know, I, so full disclosure, we've been many times to the Iowa State Fair, used to exhibit there, as a matter of fact. And that fair is a great fair. And there's nothing, nothing like going during beef week and hanging out with all those families across various breeds because they're all kind of hanging out in the bar. You know, we've been dropping spiders from the rafters for years in those bars with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. And, and it's just a pleasure to sit in a lawn chair, kick back, and, and talk about cattle. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it, 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 for folks that have never had that opportunity, mm -hmm. you need to go to one of your local state fairs, if it's a good one, and uh, or a breed show. And just experience what it's like to hang right. out with cattle people. It's it's right. it's the best. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit, Shane, about breed improvement. How do you improve on something that's already near perfect? Well, yeah, it's a it's a challenge. Um, you know, technology usually helps you guide uh, the new path forward, right? I mean. Uh, you know, we've got great breeders in this breed that have been uh, doing it for generations. And, uh, you know, they're uh, some of that uh, wisdom and um, foresight that, that those men and women have is still very useful today. But, uh, you know, things evolve. And, uh, you know, whether it's our computer software and computing power, uh, just for instance, uh, you know, our genetic evaluation uh, used to run just twice a year. Now we crank that every week. And so the most up-to-date information that's flowing in from our membership relative to weights and different uh, uh, barometers like uh, that flow right into the valuation and update the expected progeny differences, the traits that we look at to measure animals to one another they can update rapidly and that allows those breeders to see progress and see uh, potential deficiencies where they can get better and improve. 
And uh, most importantly, I think it's armed um, the commercial clientele that our breeders are selling to. It's armed them with the best and latest, most up-to-date information, which is crucial for them to make herd improvement. You know, one of the things that we always look at is uh, how deep you all go when you're talking about your website. And we will, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will have a link to Herford.org up on the radio blog. But just going through your website, you have so much, so much in the area of genetics. And and I was real impressed with what you got in marketing about Mm -hmm. sales and services and how you can help those those breeders out there, those cattlemen and cattlewomen, to yep. uh, to make a dime. Yeah, every member's a little bit different, um, right. you know, and so we've we've got to offer, uh, and and that's our real job. I mean, our number one job here at the association is registering cattle and protecting the herd book. I mean, we've done that since 1881, and that's a that's a job not taken lightly. But that that's our number one job, and then the second job is promoting her for genetics and pr- promoting the the memberships genetics and arming them with the best tools possible and so for some breeders that's a performance pedigree where they can dive in deep and look at the and track performance and 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 look at breed improvement and to some me- members that's uh helping them with a saddle sale catalog um to help market their genetics going online and and using some of our resources as you mentioned, to help uh, market their cattle through our latest uh, national ag campaign, or it's it's helping a young person uh, figure out what what he or she needs to do for for a show coming up. So yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. You got a a powerful youth program as well. But I want to ask you about something else that maybe not get a lot of attention. We have seen a change out there in in herdsmen. Herds women, particularly, there's a lot of women in the association that are doing good work as well. Would that be accurate? That's definitely accurate. Uh, You know, you can look at our current uh, national board right now, and we have two great ladies that are part of that 12-member board uh, that are serving uh, our membership uh, and, and doing a really good job. They come from different parts of the country, but they're key leaders in those states uh they're great cattle uh people and they've they've done a really good job i think of leading our breed here the last few years uh it wasn't too long ago we had a a woman president uh of our association uh miss terry barber from from texas and so you know i i think the the, the sky's the limit uh you know and i'm i'm proud you know our membership we we've, we've got great uh people involved at all levels and and that's funneled down to the to the junior membership as well i mean there's several young ladies that are part of that and they're outgoing and they've got a lot of drive beyond the fact that uh hereford cattle seem to be some of the most docile breeds that are out there what are some of the other real key points folks need to know about the hereford and uh why that is a a benefit to anybody who's interested in raising cattle outside of the membership and outside of the association. Yeah. What are the big things yeah. about that breed? I think what, what folks are really finding right now, um, and it's refreshing to them is the longevity 
Mm. Uh, the hardiness, the doability of the breed uh, that we've been known for for a long time. It's it's almost taken a little while for the folks to realize that they maybe have gotten away from that to some extent and they needed to come back and focus, particularly in those herds that are keeping females back, uh, that natural doability, fleshing ability, the ability to breed back and have uh, fertility along with it. And a testament to our breeders, you know, we've improved immensely, in my opinion, on utter and tit quality um in these females and uh you're you're going to get a, a female that can last she's going to walk good she's going to have good feet and legs a good sound udder and then have the ability to breathe back and so i i think that's really what we're seeing uh, this last sale season was a good testament to that uh we sold more bulls uh, this last year than ever before hmm. in the, in the in the commercial market and so uh i i think it is heading home and, um, you know, that, that longevity is something that we can't lose sight of. Shade Bedwell, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest here on the American Cattleman Podcast. He's the chief operating officer down there in Kansas City at the American Hereford Association, also director of breed improvement. What has been a difference? Now, and I told you, I go back a long way with Hereford. Uh, there was a time when it was kind of playing second fiddle out there just a bit and we, we all kind of know that and but 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 in the past 20 25 years this has really taken off is it because of that breed improvement and the sustainability and the longevity all those things that cattle breeders are looking at saying hmm this might work for us yeah i have no doubt um you know there were some lean times and uh you know, going through the the extremes that we had there in our industry and the cycle and chasing things that oh, yeah. we really didn't need to chase. Really, the frame and length and extreme leanness really painted us in a corner uh, when it came to, uh, you know, that longevity, doability. And those cattle didn't work. And uh, the breeders that made it through those times, um, the breeders that made it through those times and really uh, – worked hard on on getting their cattle back to what they'd been known for uh, from the very beginning uh, paying close attention to you know the foundational traits of structure you know utter and teak quality and then we we had to make some some hard decisions and 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 those those folks really had to make some hard decisions and say okay you know we're, we're not going to deal with calving problems we're going to get those cattle out of our, our, our herd. We're going to put some some pressure on milk production. We're going to put some pressure on, on growth and in product merit, you know. And those breeders that have come through those leaner times have a phenomenal product right now that I, I think you're seeing for the first time some generations that maybe four generations ago used Hereford cattle. Um two and three walked away from it because of some issues. And now generation four is coming back and saying, Holy, mm. this is, this is what we've needed. And it's, it's been refreshing. Yeah. Changes, change is always good. And if you, if you, if you're sinking, you need to find a way to get out of that. And, and, and going back to the roots of, yep. of the breed is so important. And I, I do remember that Shane, when everybody was chasing, 
that whole leanness, and, and it, it was kind of important to people, and it just didn't work. And I, kind of as a result, beef as a whole, you know, took a hit uh, across the board. Yeah. And, uh, you know, poultry and, and, uh, and hogs came, came roaring in. What, uh, what can you tell us about the marketability, uh, I, the scoring of the Hereford? How's it score when you, when you get on the hook? Yeah, I, I think the, you know, whether you're talking about, uh, the, the replacement, uh, female Hereford female is, is going to have a lot of value. And I, I think where Hereford has a lot of versatility to the breed is that, uh, one, the white face is still recognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that uh, that's uh, going on an Angus-based cow, a red Angus-based cow, or for some of our Gulf Coast uh, Southern uh, commercial cattlemen, um, going on those Brayford crosses, those tiger stripes, um, is, is that white face is recognizable in any crossbreeding kind of situation where there there's value and those those female cells have been tremendous the demand for them has been amazingly strong you know and what what we really like seeing through our certified her for beef our branded beef program i was just on the phone this morning talking with uh one of our national beef marketing folks and they love taking a good ribeye a good strip loin to a uh, restaurant tour doing a cutting because they can win with it. Mm. They can win with that um, and win those cuttings and the people absolutely brag about the bold flavor, the taste and the quality of the meat. There is a difference. There is a difference. Hey, one final question for you, Shane. Uh, You know, over the past couple of years, we've seen the price of beef in the grocery store continue to climb. It's starting to level out a little bit. What are you seeing looking forward? Well, I think we're uh, we're in some interesting times here. Uh, we have the the lowest uh, cow inventory uh, that we've had since the '60s on record, and so um, you know the, the drought, Mother Nature, uh, you know different things have been a little hard on the inventory, and so we've we've seen some reduction in numbers, and so the supplies are going to be tight um, for the American consumer. And I think where what it's gonna what what we learned through uh, the pandemic uh, through COVID was that the beef the American consumer loves beef, and they love high quality beef. And so I think there's always going to be a demand for high quality uh, beef, uh, whether it be in the restaurant or now we're seeing a lot of movement on the retail side uh, through grocery stores because those people learn that they can go and buy a good steak in the grocery store and cook it themselves with their family and friends at home and have almost maybe a better eating experience than what they do at restaurants sometimes and 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 have that we've really brought people back around the grill and so i think we're in for some really good times from a producer's point of view i think we are going to have to be careful a little bit with the price on the retail side but i'm i'm still pretty confident that the consumer is in love with beef and they love high quality dollars on it. And when it comes to good beef, it's Hereford beef. That's right. (laughs) Doing a little commercial for you there, my friend. 
Shane yes, Bedwell, ladies and gentlemen, is the chief operating officer over at the American Hereford Association based out of Kansas City. Been there eight years and now steering this organization along with his compatriots over there. And he's the director of breed improvement. And uh, what an interesting conversation. Some things that maybe people that aren't associated in the beef industry may not know about. So I want to say thank you, Shane, for hanging out with us for a little bit. And, yeah, we'll have links to the American Hereford Association up on the radio blog. Shane, thanks again for spending time with us. It was a pleasure. And uh, if any uh, folks have questions as they go and visit the website, just reach out to us. We have a very capable team here at the association within those respective departments that can help you get on the right uh, track and just uh, email us or, or give us a call here at the association. Yeah, that's Shane Bedwell from the American Hereford Association. All right, hang in there with us. Before we close the gate, we've got another announcement for you. But also, you need to know, coming up is singer-songwriter Haley Payne out of Nashville, Tennessee. You're going to enjoy this. We sure did. Hey, don't be wasting valuable time tending to back rubbers and ear tags. Stop letting horn flies harm your cattle and your profits. With Altacid IGR, you'll get consistent horn fly control without changing what you're already doing, which is, yeah, feeding your cattle. With this pre-mixed feed-through, you won't be measuring fly control into cattle minerals. You'll be measuring added weight gains. Altacid IGR passes through the cattle and into manure, where horn flies lay eggs, preventing adult flies that interfere with cattle health and profitability. Turn to Altacid IGR for horn fly control each year and year after year, rather than changing fly control products each season. And unlike ear tags and sprays that require the efforts of handling cattle, Altazid IGR spreads as your cattle grazes. With no known resistance, Altazid IGR is the proven choice in fly control. Go with the IGR that delivers the most ROI. Contact your local feed dealer today or go to altazidigr.com. It's about time to close the corral gate. But before we do, let's spend a couple of minutes with Nashville singer-songwriter Haley Payne. Here we are sitting in a Nashville honky-tonk talking music. So Haley, it's great to have you with us. Born and raised in Kentucky, moved to Nashville to build on your career. What is it like to be what you are? Well, it's so funny because I've always known this is who I am and what I wanted to do. So it was, it was always just like, well, you know, I'm going to get out of school. I'm going to move to Nashville. And I actually went to college down here as well. But I, you know, I always knew it was difficult and that there was no shortage of people that are living here and moving here every day, wanting to do exactly the same thing that I'm doing. And, um, my parents, you know, were always very supportive of me growing up and, um, you know, they drove me to all my gigs. They helped me buy my first guitar and, you know, really (laughs) encouraged me when my song sounded good. And when I would sing some songs that they'd be like, maybe not that one. Yeah. And so I needed that (laughs) constructive criticism. Uh, So I'm very thankful to have had that support, but also like people, you know, humbling me sometimes and telling me what you're good at and what you're not. Um, So I think I came here with the knowledge of like what I bring to the table Mm -hmm. and what my strengths are and what, you know, my weaknesses can be as well. And so I think when you know who you are as a person and as an artist, um, and like I said, your strengths, your weaknesses, it is a little bit easier coming into here in such like a 
a giant place with people who you know are doing the exact same thing as you. Right. Um, when you have a sense of self, uh, I think that helps a lot. But sometimes it's easy to, you know, feel like you're losing that when you compare yourself to all the other people. So that's something I'm learning uh, to stop doing as much. It's comparing yourself. Do you have friends in the music business? I do, and I'm really thankful for that. I, um, you know, being from a small town in Kentucky, I didn't know like a ton of people who, you know, were musicians, especially people my age. And so when I moved here, I went to college at Middle Tennessee State University, and I actually studied songwriting. Uh, So I made some friends um, there in college who don't do music, but a lot of friends that do as well. And so when I moved here um, from Murfreesboro from college up to Nashville, I just really tried to just go to as many things as I can and meet people. And luckily, as you can tell, I don't mind talking. So I was fine going up to people and being like, hey, my name's Haley. Like, I just moved here. I'd love to, like, get coffee or something. And so... I've been here for in Nashville for two years now, and I feel like I've found those that group of people that I really mesh well with, and that I'm like actually friends with. But we also write together, we perform together, um, because I think it's easy to have a lot of, or to feel like you have some superficial relationships when you know you mix business right. and friendship and stuff, and especially in something that can be so competitive as the music industry. But I feel like I've found those friends that like we all support each other. We're all different. We all know what we bring to the table, but we're all actually friends. And we also can write together, work together, and do all that stuff, too. Not only a singer, but also a songwriter. Tell us a little bit about that side of the business. Yeah, so I think that songwriting is something that a lot of people... um, don't like know as much about maybe is like being an artist or being a performer and I'm both I'm an artist and a songwriter um, but something that I honestly didn't realize until I was like you know in high school I remember being a kid and I would listen to George Strait with my parents and I would I loved looking at the liner notes right. in CDs yeah. they're back to CDs yeah. and <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh he didn't write these songs. Like, I I didn't know that was a thing. And, you know, then obviously growing up and, like, coming here, you literally could be sitting next to someone in a coffee shop who's written 40 of your favorite songs and you literally would never know. And I think that's so cool that there's, like, these everyday people telling stories and whether or not they wanted to or didn't want to be the person to, like, you know, sing that song and tell that story, but they still get to tell their story in so many different ways. We're with Haley Payne in Nashville. Haley, one of your most recent releases is called Running Late. And we're going to go out with that music, but first, tell us about it. The song is called Running Late, and um, anyone that knows me can attest to the fact that I have struggled to be on time to literally anything. And um, I, you know, sometimes feel like I'm just running late in life. I just turned 23, and um, it's so funny, especially being from a small town. Like, I feel like everyone I know is married and is like on their second kid. And I'm like, what's happening? Wow, that's Owensboro. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, everybody. And, um, you know, it's just, there's sometimes it can make you feel like, Is there something like wrong with me that I'm not doing what everyone else is doing? Um, Or is it bad, you know? And so in the video, those were three of my friends who were also all artists here. Um, So they're all singer songwriters. Um, No. Okay. Um, No, they are not. One of them is engaged. The one who's engaged in the uh, shoot actually is engaged in real life. Um, But, you know. It was, it was funny to have them have to act like kind of mean to me and like fake because we're actually good friends in real life. But, you know, I think sometimes, and not that I've ever, I don't think, been treated like in a way where I was like, oh my gosh, like people are really judging me for not being mm-hmm. where, where these other people are. But I think that if you're in the same situation as me, which it's, it's been cool to see other people relate to it, but, you know, I think that you can make yourself feel that way. Like, oh my gosh, sure. like everyone's like, when they go home for Christmas, like they're, they're talking about how like Haley is like in Nashville, like just single and we are like, 
like have our third kid, you know? And and it's like this narrative that you kind of honestly make, you might make it up, but it still can make you feel like kind of, you know, like different and just like, like I said, kind of wonder like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Like, why am I on a different path than other people? We're closing the gate on this edition of American Cattleman Podcast with singer-songwriter Haley Payne. And she's running late. Catch you next time here on the American Cattleman Podcast. Songwriter Haley Payne here on the American Cattleman Podcast. We're going to close the gate and hope to see you again next time around. Take care of yourself.